Is it really that important to eat organic? What is conscious parenting? Is homeopathy actually work? Oh God, the flu. How do I beat it naturally? How do I prepare for birth? What are the benefits of meditation? This is Healthy Happy Home, the podcast community that offers discussions and solutions for a fully conscious and integrative approach to living and parenting. We will explore and open up the topics of natural health and well-being, holistic parenting, consciousness and work-life balance to empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. We're so grateful that you're joining us on this journey. We'd love it if you could take the time to rate, review and subscribe. It will help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. This season of Healthy Happy Home is sponsored by Mega Home Water Distillers, the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller. Mega Home are kindly offering listeners of the Healthy Happy Home podcast a 5% discount. Just use the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Mega Home. Looking for a wellness break in the UK? Well, you're in the right place. At Retreat Life, we take small groups on exclusive escapes to focus on well-being, fitness and health. Relax, reconnect and re-energise on one of our empowering retreats, all located in unique locations within the natural beauty of the British countryside. For more info, go to www.retreatlife.co.uk. Welcome back to Healthy Happy Home, everyone. Um, We are here coming up to week 10 of lockdown um, and still recording remotely. Still not the best quality, but doing our best to get the best content. But we've just um, recorded an amazing show, haven't we? Yes, exactly. With Joe Fairley, who is the founder of Green and Blacks and the Perfume Society, the Beauty You don't even need to say Green and Blacks chocolate. You can just say Green and Blacks and everyone knows what you're talking about. It's that iconic, isn't it? I know, and it was they called it green because it was eco, and black because of the dark chocolate. How cool! I mean, that's just so lovely. I never even knew that. But anyway, she was amazing and so inspiring, wasn't she? Because she's done so many amazing entrepreneurial things, but she really sort of works from her heart, doesn't she? With what inspires her and what she feels is missing, and she really kind of goes deep into working out whether it's a good project to do or not a good project. And she gave so much good advice, didn't she? It was really so much good advice. I I. I did say at the beginning of the episode that she was one of our dream guests when we started writing, when we started the show, I'd written down because I do this, um, I'm a very big fan of Lacey Phillips and her to be magnetic online workshops. And one of the things you do, sorry. She's one of your expanders. No, so one of the things you do is choose four expanders, four people who feel kind of almost relatable, but who you kind of, would aspire to be like or who can show you what you can be in the future and the reason she's such an expander for me is because not only is she a successful woman in business she's done it ethically and she's maintained a really holistic lifestyle and maintained her passions and her drive and her dedication to holistic living and all her businesses that she created she did it out of this kind of awareness and passion and her husband as well kind of being a pioneer in the in the organic food industry so yeah she's a major expander for me yeah she really walks her talk doesn't she and he her husband was one of the first um he had his first macrobiotic restaurant here in like the 60s i think she said i know was it was she say 1967 or something it's amazing yeah um you know way before it was fashionable or people you know knew anything about it so yeah very very inspiring woman very genuine very genuine lady isn't she very yeah very truthful truthful. and like you said in the episode she what we like about her she walks her talk so we really enjoyed recording it I really she was you know on my on my list and I'm really I've that's one to tick off that I'm really happy with so um we really hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed recording it let's get on with the show Jo Fairley is one of UK's leading female entrepreneurs After becoming the UK's youngest ever magazine editor at the age of 23, she set out on her entrepreneurial journey in 1991, where she co-founded Green and Black's Chocolate, now a hundred million a year brand. She is the co-founder of thebeautybible.com, which grew out of the best-selling Beauty Bible series and the Perfume Society. 
and before lockdown, traveled the UK and Europe, motivating audiences with lessons from her business and life journey. We're so honored to have you on the show because I did tell you when we spoke about this and I furiously hunted you down on Instagram um, that when we, um, when we began the show, we raised a list of all our dream guests and you were on that. Um, I think because of how much of an expander you serve as for women generally, being a successful entrepreneur, turning your hand to so many things, but also very much still focused on holistic living and ethical yeah. living. Um, and that is important to us. So how important is that to you? It's completely important. I mean, I haven't seen a conventional doctor except when I broke my wrist for 33 years. My doctor died and I never bothered to replace him. <laughs> I take... <laughs> I take responsibility for my own health. I believe that this is something that I am much better. It, it does, health doesn't just happen to you. I think mm -hmm. you have to take charge of it. And so I've always um, gone to a holistic therapist. So, so that would be acupuncture. It would be Chinese medicine if I'm sick. It would be taking lots of vitamins, um, getting my steps every day, going to yoga, doing Pilates, you know, it's, it's quite an investment. Yeah. But I've only got one life and I want to live it as, as fully and as well as I possibly can. And I, you and I were chatting in the, in the kind of pre chat about the fact that the one thing that I really hope comes out of this whole COVID episode is this realization that health isn't just something that happens to you mm. and that you have control over boosting your own immune system and strengthening your body, you know, through exercise, etc. Uh, making sure that you eat healthily. And I think that this is, this has shaken people up and, and made them realize that they have got to kind of smarten up their act. You know, there's going to be a lot of working off this banana bread when it's all over. <laughs> yeah. I know. Definitely for me, the sourdough, the sourdough baking has really taken me up a couple of sizes. Yeah, everybody. Isn't it? Yeah, but it's so true though. It's amazing that we, that people really have expected the doctor to cure everything. And I think me and Lauren were talking about this before that, that's what's shaken people up so much because the doctor, the medical profession have said, okay, here's COVID. We actually don't know how to deal with this yeah. and we're trying our best and it's, you know, when we may not manage. And yeah. I think people have been so expect, so used to just going to the doctor if they feel unwell and thinking that they will sort them out, that actually it's really thrown people into a, a panic. And, you know, if you do know how to boost your immune system yourself, then you, you haven't been so panicked by it. And I, it's, it's, I think it's a shame that the government hasn't, said more to people about how they can look after their immunity and i think it's really a shame they haven't done that they've kind of done the opposite they've said yeah. Stay home, don't exercise and there's a huge amount of research on the effect that exercise has on boosting the immune system yeah. you take less than a thousand steps a day which is what most people who are literally shielding themselves are probably doing in their flat or their house then that really you start to see a dip so really ironically the one thing that we've been told to do may actually be undermining our health but well, what i would say to you is you know i mean i i've done quite a lot of traveling in the developing world and there people live with the cloud of potentially fatal illnesses mm. hanging over them whether it is malaria or dengue fever or ebola or um or yellow fever or whatever and um we've been blessed over the last sort of 50 years or you know probably since the development of penicillin and 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 with the, this idea that actually doctors can can cure everything so i you know we're very privileged in the West not to have had those those life-threatening illnesses hanging over us. And yet, you know, people live. They don't hide behind their sofas or in their in their huts. They they go out and they live. And I think that that is what we've got to start learning to do again after this. Absolutely. I, I think one of your points about saying the one thing the government have told us not to do, but they've told us to do two things, which segues quite nicely for me into your being the first person ever to mention the word microbiome on desert island discs <laughs> when you spoke about taking your pillow with you. But the reason that that segues nicely into that is because 
the this constant hand washing and using this antibacterial hand wash actually kills the microbiome on your skin, which is something Tilly and I are constantly talking about and telling people, you know, you want to keep your microbiome healthy. Washing the old fashioned way with warm water and soap is the best way by constantly and especially putting it on our children and telling our children not to get dirty and keeping our children away from other children. You know, it's just weakening our immune systems even more. So, you know, yes, the government should have absolutely been doing more. However, they're not. And as you say, many people are taking it upon themselves now, which is brilliant. And we can only hope that people continue with that after this. Having said that, I don't think my husband had washed his hands for 20 years. You know, he's, <laughs> he, just, he totally believes that, that it's good dirt. Mm. But, um, but even he has been doing that. Yeah. yeah. I think we all have just actually washing our hands with soap and water. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, until they really understand more about how this does spread, yeah um it's probably a, a safe precaution but but yeah generally you know uh i mean i'm married to somebody who wrote an article in 1972 in a in a holistic magazine that he launched called seed called the case against washing and um i think a couple of days ago there was a a, a story in the times finally about about how um washing upsets your your microbiome but um yeah, yeah. You know he's used to being a pioneer <laughs> yeah he's he's an amazing pioneer he's really like one of the first people didn't he start the first microbiotic restaurant here he did. in 1967 yeah seed seed restaurant in, in notting hill and you know the rolling stones went there and the pink floyd and and john lennon and yoko and you know he really thought that the world was going to be switched on to eating healthily uh, within a couple of years and and actually you know i think it's it's only only really now that people have started to to think about you know the fact that they are what they eat um joe wood called him mr organic <laughs> <laughs> mr organic yeah mr organic yeah <laughs> because you started green and blacks that was your first major business after you, when you were doing the magazines and stuff and that yeah. was the first fair trade organic chocolate or the first, fair trade. It was the first organic chocolate in the world and it was the first fair trade marked product in the UK and oh, wow. it was launched in 1991 and you know not only that but it was the only really dark chocolate on the market you could only get 55% dark chocolate up till then and um, everyone you know I'd go and see supermarket buyers and they'd say oh the British will never eat anything this dark and I was like well, I like it, you know, and mm. I think I like it. Probably lots of other people are going to like it. Yeah. And um, so, yes, it was pioneering. Um, and then in 1994, uh, we launched um, Maya Gold, which was the first fair trademark product in the UK. Absolutely. And the thing about that was that, I mean, almost by accident, we found out that it was, you know, we just did business the way we thought was fair and and the way you should do business so you know we paid a good price for our organic beans we had we had uh, you know we gave the farmers contracts which worked both ways because it gave them security but it also gave us security of supply so you know these things work really well when they're symbiotic like that and um it was kind of by accident that i stumbled across something from uh, it was actually you know i found out about the fair trade foundation wanting to launch um a product with their mark on and as I went through the list of criteria it was like oh yeah we're doing that yeah we're doing that yeah we're doing that why don't we apply wow and um they just had a big deal with Typhoo tea fall through so they were thrilled when somebody came along and said actually hello we're doing this can we can we work together and um and so it was amazing because they got behind it but but you know, the supporters of the Fair Trade Foundation include um, Oxfam, Christian Aid, the Women's Institute, National Federation for Women's Institutes, Catholic Fund for Overseas Development, all kinds of, you know, great organisations who wanted to make the world a better place and, and got behind the Fair Trade Foundation, which actually meant getting behind us. So that was that was amazing from a business point of view, but much, much prouder am I of the fact that, you know, it kind of set a blueprint for for caring business, if you like, and, and caring, cr help to create a more caring consumer. 
yeah, mm -hmm. conscientious, made people more conscientious of what they're buying, yeah. which is really yeah. still going on. And it's getting, people are getting more and more aware of it now. I think so. And, and you know, Mary Portis wrote something in the Telegraph a couple of days ago, but just saying that every pound you spend now is a vote for, for how you want to live. I'm such a big fan of that. I, that's what I say. Like we, we can control what happens with the way we spend our money, you know, because people say, oh, you know, if I buy it, it doesn't matter because everyone else is buying it. And I'm such a big believer in you just have to start with yourself. Yeah. And I refuse to buy any, like even if I'm cooking for someone else who doesn't eat organic at home or whatever, I refuse to buy non-organic eggs or yeah. things that aren't, that I don't think are ethically right. I mean, you know, I've, we've had, um, so I buy lots of things from our local natural food store. Um, we, we grow stuff in the garden, but I've had a cardo deliver all my basics and, mm. and you know, the stuff. I don't want to go into a supermarket at the moment. I buy from anything else. I don't want a queue to go anywhere at the moment. Yeah. Ever. you should never queue yeah <laughs> so um so i've had a cardo and i've been very grateful to them but literally systematically every week i've had to stand on the doorstep and say no take the non-organic potatoes take the non-organic this take the non-organic that you know because I, I i just don't want to eat it yeah absolutely i i want to i do want to focus on um all of that and your home and your garden and all of that but i just want to go back for a minute because um, most of our listeners are young women, many of whom are starting businesses, young mums. Um, I'd like you to take us back to the beginning of the journey with Green and Blacks <laughs> and starting a business, kind of being a woman in business at that time and how, how it all kind of transpired for you. Well, uh, it's a long story. It's a, quite a long story. I'll try and try and make it short. But um, at that time, um, I'd got together with Craig and we were in the natural food world. I'd, I'd kind of moved into this exciting world of natural food by being married to him while also working as a journalist. You know, I, I wasn't working in, in natural food. And it was a really small world. I mean, literally, we would go to trade shows around the world and we would see the same bunch of people who became friends. And it was like a movement. These people felt that they were going to change the world through mm. food. And, and help the environment through, you know, better health for the planet. And so it was a very mutually supportive world. And if you got offered a product that you couldn't sell, or you came across something that wasn't right for your brand, you might get in touch with someone else that you knew and say, oh, by the way, you know, go and chat, chat to that person. Mm. And as it happened, Craig was trying to buy peanuts for his whole earth peanut butter brand obviously is the real reason I married him um and um <laughs> I had no idea that was Craig whole earth is Craig's Craig. yeah almond right. butter Lauren the almond uh, butter and the my whole cupboard's full of the stuff <laughs> anyway he was trying to buy a batch of peanuts that turned out to be um fairly quality control tests so somebody the guy he was trying to buy them from said well I've also got these cocoa beans and Craig said I can't do anything with cocoa you know it's got it's if, to make chocolate, you need to use sugar. And his whole founding principle was no added sugar. He said, but, you know, let's get a sample made because I might be able to point you in the direction of somebody I know. And he was thinking about a friend of ours in Denmark, actually. So he briefed that this, this guy was French, uh, although he was working in Africa. He had a little factory down the road in France from where he lived who would make a small run of chocolate. And he got some samples made and Craig said, make it 70% dark because, you know, I really feel that there's a market for dark chocolate. And I just found a couple of squares on his desk and I put it in my mouth. Obviously, you know, as you find chocolate on your husband's desk, what else are you going to do? <laughs> and, um, and I had this epiphany. I was like, oh, my God, this is the best chocolate I've ever eaten. What are you going to do with it? And Craig said, well, I can't really do anything. It's got sugar in. But I was thinking of sending it to Lisbeth in Denmark. And, and I, was, I just kept on and on at him. And eventually he turned around and he said, look, if you're so interested, you do it. And what he really meant was that I, I, I had to do the PR and the marketing because that kind of dovetailed with my skill set. And I had to finance it. And as it happened, I had my little nest egg of £20,000 from selling my flat the equity left over from selling my flat. And that's almost exactly what two tons of chocolate cost. So I put 
I put my entire life savings into two tons of chocolate. Wow. I know. And then, <laughs> and then I, I heard from listening to your Desert Island desk that then you got the chocolate, but then it was like a heat wave that summer. Yes. So you had all, <laughs> all the chocolate. That's my, my like first really scary business lesson was, um, was not being able to launch it. You know, I, we had to sit on it and put it in cold storage for, for three months because it was a really unbelievably hot summer. And um, I just bought something that, you know, I had visions of trickling down the M25, basically. <laughs> and and so you're you still working as a journalist at the time. I, I continued to work as a journalist throughout that whole thing. I, I've always continued to work as a journalist, you know, whatever, whatever I've been doing. And in fact, the, the last few years I've been, you know, I've been going around as a, as a public speaker, addressing lots of audiences, trying to inspire entrepreneurs on their journey, talking to women in business, talking to banks and, and insurance companies about corporate social responsibility and about, you know, their journey to, to do good through doing business. Mm. And of course, and I continue to work as a journalist. And sometimes I thought to myself, why am I still doing this? I mean, you know, I'm doing well at speaking. Well, guess what? I'm back to being a journalist because I don't know when I'm next going to stand in front of an audience of, of 70 people or 7,000 people. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 my advice is always to people starting out up in a business or even after 30 years, don't give up the side hustle, you know, don't give up the, you know, it's, that's uh, a great piece of advice because yeah. that's what, that's what kind of people will be coming here for to see how did you do it and what are your tips and, yeah I mean, you know in the early days of a business it always takes you much much longer to get off the ground than you think it's going to yeah. it's it's you know you, you it's a bit like a car going from naught to 60 and if you look at the graph at the beginning it goes like that and then it and then it just kind of takes off and it goes like that as you get brand awareness but that bit the flat bit lasts for way longer than you ever think it's going to mm. i always say it takes twice as long cost twice as much money as you think it's going to and you've really got to be prepared for that because I don't know anybody who has defied that kind of law of the universe basically yeah what do they say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success yeah <laughs> exactly so how, but how quick how quickly did it take for green and blacks to take off once? I mean you know in in some ways we were we were an exception because we had an incredibly lucky break at the beginning in that um I, one of the things I did is I networked a chocolate. I used good old fashioned PR. You know, I, I sent out press releases. I sent chocolate with it. I got it noticed on journalist desks. I sent it to every chef I could think of, every celebrity I'd ever sat next to at a party or met or encountered or interviewed, you know, everybody. I got it out there. And I got a call from Sainsbury's after about six weeks, literally. <laughs> And uh, the buyer said, um, one of our directors has had your chocolate at a dinner party and we would like to invite you to submit it for the next range review. So I went home to Craig and I said, hey, guess what? You know, Sainsbury's rang today. And he went, no, it just doesn't happen like that. You know, you have to go knocking on their door for years and then you get a toe in and then a foot. And But anyway, what had happened was that... Um, Lady Sainsbury had had it at a dinner party and obviously went home and told her husband that this should be on the shelves of Sainsbury's. And I am 99% uh, sure I know how that chocolate ended up on her radar, which was that I'd sent it to Lady Annabel Goldsmith. And I think they were friends and they probably had it, at, she probably got it out after dinner. And so our trajectory slightly defied that. Um, and what you have to remember in those days, it's very easy to forget that, that Sainsbury's was the number one supermarket in the UK. Everybody wanted to be Sainsbury's and was looking at what they were doing. So then when we went to other supermarkets to try to get our foot in the door there, the door was wide open. Right. Wow. But I, gen I know genuinely that that is a really unusual uh, thing to happen. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I guess part of it... I guess part of it was that you sent it. You really did, like you say, that old-fashioned marketing. You sent it out. You got it on people's desks. You obviously were sending it out to the right people. 
marketing. And also, you know, I think karmically, I think that when you're trying to do good, um, magic happens. You know, everything we did was, was you know, in, in a spirit of positivity and, and, you know, trying to do something to make healthier chocolate and a healthier world and a healthier environment. And you know what, the... It, if you want to be a bit woo woo about it, then perhaps the the universe was smiling kindly on us. Yeah, it's true because we were all eating dairy milk before that, weren't we? And that yeah. was, I mean, that's what going on with that. people's idea of what a dark chocolate was was Bourneville. Right. I was going to say, my I remember so distinctly when I was a child, my step grandmother, um, who was really lovely, she was Russian, she would always have a couple of squares of dark chocolate yeah. after dinner. And we'd be like, oh, what's that? And she'd be like, oh, you can have it. But it was Bourneville, and I would have yeah. it. And like, I quite like it, but it's kind of not that nice. But there, I guess that was the only thing that was around. It was literally the only, that was, that was people's idea of dark chocolate. Yeah. 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 But well, you it, know, it was an important lesson with that because supermarket buyers would sometimes, I mean, they would stock it, but they would say at the same time is, I don't think the British are ever going to eat chocolate this dark, mm. you know, and, and it just shows that sometimes you have to go with your instincts and, and just, ignore what you're being told yeah, yeah. I, I really uh, my benchmark for launching businesses and 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 acting on ideas you know i don't use market research groups i don't i don't use focus groups or anything like that my my basic thing is if i want it and it's not out there yeah, and it yeah. genuinely isn't out there and i can i know how to research whether something is there or not and the chances are that lots of other people feel the same way you know i'm no different to anybody else really at the end of the day it must have been like that with the beauty bible as well because i was thinking that there's quite a lot of beauty online places like cult beauty and things like that now but actually when you when you started that that must have been very uh, early on as well sarah stacy and i launched our series of beauty books in 1996 it became a website in 2001 and you know what makes us different is we don't really sell stuff we're probably crazy but we don't sell stuff um so Sarah's idea was to write a beauty book that kind of named names. So all the beauty books that had been around till then, if you wanted to buy it, so, so if they would talk about a moisturizer, they'd say a moisturizer or an eye cream or a mascara. And they weren't specific about it, about which ones were the best. And so Sarah's idea was to send real products to real women garner their impressions and and basically do a ranking you know where you had kind of a gold silver bronze award across a wide range of beauty categories so that women knew exactly which skin cream to buy which which moisturizer which serum which cellulite treatment or, or body scrub or nail polish because we all want trusted sources of information on that kind of thing yeah. and there's just so much stuff out there how do you possibly navigate the market so we so that was the idea and and luckily because she and i she i think sarah was beauty editor of esquire at the time and i was beauty editor of you magazine so we had great relationships with the brands and they supported us by sending basically 10 of everything they wanted to submit for the awards and we just said okay you send us the product we will get it out to the testers they all get 10 products they're all kind of hand-picked um we put groups together of women with common common beauty concerns whether that is age spots or greasy hair or redness um and we send them a targeted set of products which they then trial over a period of months, actually. I mean, it, this process goes on over a period of months and they are amazingly diligent at doing it. This is not somebody dabbing it on the back of their hand and say and writing their, their reports. They actually try things on one half of their face and we get countless emails saying, um, can I start using it on the other side because I'm starting to look lopsided. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't tell me these products don't work. Um, and then we, we gather all their scores and their comments and we put together this annual Beauty Bible Awards now, which is online. Um, so it's, it, you know, it, it's an unbelievable military operation. But we do, basically this goes back to, to my kind of um, 
founding philosophy of not wanting to waste things in the world. You know, I've, I've, somebody gave me a, a book when I was 13 called A Shopper's Guide to Saving the Planet. And it was all, a, I mean, there wasn't much I could do to save the planet except get my mother to drive her gin bottles to the bottle bank. But it made me, my big thing is I became really conscious of waste and not wasting things. So I've never bought loads of clothes that just sit languishing in the cupboard. I always, as soon as it became possible, recycled everything I possibly could. And, you know, when it comes to, to beauty products, I've always liked to research to see what works rather than try a million different things mm -hmm. and i think that that's what we do we signpost women to, to products that have worked across a, a spectrum of women and frankly if you score well in the beauty bible awards you can be pretty damn sure that that product is totally worth spending your money on okay. um, i don't think anybody else does that actually because yeah. i was thinking most brands just send them out to influencers and, and they stuff. send them out to influencers who probably you know who probably for example are too young to try an anti-aging cream or a an eye cream or a neck cream or whatever um and whereas ours are a kind of cross-section of, of real women with genuine beauty concerns and they're trying them in real life over this long period of time so no nobody does it we've now had over thirty thousand women try products for us over the years it's, it's wow. quite amazing wow. you must get people wanting to sign up for your program do you we do we do i mean they pay they basically people pay 35 pounds to do it because otherwise we couldn't possibly afford to do this. That covers the costs of the, you know, the postage and the packing and the, and, and you know, the, the actual manpower of packing the parcels and sending them out, etc. But in that parcel, you'll probably get, you know, at least, well, it will be at least 200 pounds worth of product. And sometimes, you know, pretty much the sky's the limit because we get support from amazing brands to enter their products because they know if they can put that symbol on their packaging at the end of it, that beauty Bible symbol, that really means something to customers. Yeah, I, I notice it when I'm reading a magazine or something. Yeah. Like, you know, this is a beauty yeah. Bible award winner. Or, but when you, so you sold green and blacks in, was it 2005? 2005, yeah. 2005. And then, so, I, but you'd started the beauty Bible a few years earlier. Yeah. So you really I, had a lot on your plate. Yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> And then just as we were selling green and blacks, we bought a bakery on our street and turned it organic and put in a one-stop natural and organic food store. So she did. I've heard, I've heard that that is amazing. That's the other thing Joe said. She has the most amazing bakery. Well, we did. We actually did sell it a few years ago. And uh -huh. it's very similar. to they, they kept the same recipes and the same flour supplier and all of that sort of thing. But yeah, just as I could have been slowing down, I found myself... Um, having to get up at five o'clock in the morning, like right for two hours. And cause I was still keeping up the journalism and then go down to the bakery and be there till, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock at night or something. Wow. I've never worked harder in my life. The first two years I worked 362 days out of 365. Wow. How old were you at that point? I was in my, God, 40, just, 40s early 40s so you know to spend the money that you'd earned <laughs> well you know i mean we have made money and we put it all in property so that we couldn't touch it because i think uh, so you carry on working yeah it's, it's <laughs> one of the reasons that motivates me i think it's incredibly i've seen people do it um naming no names <laughs> um, where you can get through a huge amount of money and not have anything left at the end of it yeah. and in fact people tried to try to investment um ex experts came and, and tried to get us to put our nest egg into various financial funds which a few years later when the financial crash came they didn't even exist anymore yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's amazing and, and so then did you, so now you have a wellness place in hastings yes so we opened that a couple of years after the bakery <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes when I say these things out loud, I think, am I insane? I and the perfect you moved to Hastings society. So, the, but again, you see, all of these things have been born out of me needing something mm. and finding it. So, when we opened the bakery, at that point, whenever I would go to London, I would go to Whole Foods, and I would come back with these really. It was pre any kind of food delivery service. 
all these really heavy carrier bags of good organic food. Um, and I thought to myself, they're just, if, if I'm doing this, there must be other people here who want good food on their doorstep. And it just so happened that we met a very brilliant artisan organic baker who'd been at Dalesford. Um, and then almost like a few days later, the bakery on our street came up for sale for the first time in 35 oh, years. Wow. Talk about manifestation. It was, it was a kind of kismet moment. Um, and it was the same with the wellbeing centre in London. So it's called the Wellington Centre. It is very beautiful. It is one of my finest creations. It really, I mean, I've really scrolled on the website and it looks so lovely. It's a place that I would like to go, you know, yeah. so, so I am always the customer here. Yeah. When we did the bakery, it was like, what, what are the products that I want? Because I know they're really good. How do I want to navigate this store? Because I'm a normal customer. You know, so, so all of the, I didn't get a store designer in. I, I worked with my, the, the, the manager I hired and we would do things like we'd take two prams and figure out, could you get two buggies past each other in the whole shop? You know, stuff like that that's just so bleeding obvious. Yeah. And so with the Wellington Centre, I was used in London to being able to go to places like the Life Centre and Try Yoga and lovely, beautiful wellness centres. Totally took that for granted. Came down here. And if you wanted to have a massage or a yoga class, um, either you had to do it at home, which of course we're all doing now, and we know how hard that is, because um, you've got the kids slumbering up and down the stairs, you've got the dog barking and all of that stuff. And your husband knocking on the door saying, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, da, da, da. you don't um, always want to be on the computer either. That's what I miss about the yoga exactly, classes. Exactly. I've, I've done the computer. I'd rather go for a walk in, in the garden. Oh, right. Exactly. So, so, but I also wanted, um, but the other option of course was to go to a therapist's house and then you might get their dog barking in the kitchen and you could smell their dinner from last night sometimes. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't relaxing. And I thought, you know what? I want to create a beautiful space where you, the minute you walk through the front door, your blood pressure drops. And that's what we did. And in fact, in, in our second year, we entered an award um, from the British Holistic Medical Association called, it's a real mouthful, um, Healing Spaces in Holistic Healthcare Award. And this was basically all about the idea that the place is part of the treatment. Yeah. And I totally believe in that. And actually, I think that this is why, you know, despite all these Zoom consultations, despite the Zoom classes you were talking about, Tilly, um, when all this is over and when it's possible to go back to somewhere to have a treatment, that's what we're all going to want to do because the place is part of the treatment. It's not Absolutely. just the therapist, it's the setting. Yeah energy of the place and the, the energy yeah. yeah yeah couldn't agree more and it looks like such a nice center so i've uh, i've said to you i've invited myself yeah well, i can get to hastings <laughs> and and I'll, I'll i'll set up a lovely day for you with with them um, with therapists and treatments and things we'd we love can it go and, and we can go and see lizzie too we can have a go and see lizzie I'm, I'm too. We're, we're holding you to it amazing what made you move to Hastings from London? I had a family connection. So I think a lot of us are drawn to the seaside place that we went to when we were kids. Mm. And I grew up in South London and my great grandparents lived in Hastings. And so if it was a nice day, my mum would throw us in the car and she'd drive us down the A21 and we could be here in about an hour and a half. And it was just somewhere I'd always gravitated to. And so there I was, you know, once, um, once Green and Blacks was up and running and I had my little nest egg back, um, we didn't own our house in London at that point, but we wanted, we very, you know, we wanted a house that belonged to us. And so we tried lots of places. We went to Froome, we went to Bath, we went to Southwold and so on. And I just said to Craig, well, come and see Hastings. And he totally got it. I'd always wanted to live, to live here. I remember once nearly moving here when I was in my 20s and then realising it, you know, probably wasn't the best move. Um, but, you know, it's got the sea, it's got the town and it's got the countryside all in one place. And he totally got it. And so we bought a little house here. And then ironically, 
um, we got the chance to buy our house in London. And the date of the completion of the sale was 9-11. And so we sat in bed that night and, you know, like everybody, and, and this, I've just written something about this with, with COVID, is there are moments in life when you think, how do I want to live the rest of my life? What is really important to me? And an event like 9-11 or COVID brings that into sharp focus. You know, most of us are just on this treadmill all the time. We never get to step back and think about the changes to our lifestyle that we'd like to make. And so on that night, we just sat in bed and went, you know what? Let's live by, it'd be so nice to live by the sea. You know, and so we moved to our, well, in fact, we, we got, we'd already got the house that we're in now. We'd, we'd sold our little house and we bought a lovely big house. And, um, and we just moved here and, you know, shifted our whole life. Because you could at that point work remotely, you know, we were early, early adopters of working from home. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a big advocate for that, aren't you? big advocate for that I think one of the great things to come out of this is that companies who have been reluctant and have not trusted their employees to put in a full day's work at home mm. realize not only are people putting in a full day's work but actually they're way more productive than they were when they were chatting away in the office yeah. you know people not having to have their commute now it's just so much nicer for yeah. the sort of mental health as well isn't it exactly you know maybe a couple of hours back in your day yeah absolutely i mean it has its challenges but i you know everybody who works for me who's now working from home really enjoys it they find they can get their work done in a shorter time yeah yeah well you've really sold hastings for me because as an avid follower of your instagram (laughs) everything you post about it looks so lovely i keep saying to my husband you know doesn't look like we'll be able to go away away this summer. Maybe we'll go to Hastings. I know. I'm worried the entire world is going to go. <laughs> yeah, because of all your posts about the all the, uh, the horticultural society, or, you know, all these flowers. And you you do plant a lot yourself. You do a lot of gardening, and I've always gardened. I, I love gardening. I think it's miraculous, and and um, I think it's incredibly therapeutic. I I'm a great supporter of the horticultural therapy charities because I just know what it does for for my sort of headspace etc and I mean there is no satisfaction like pulling a lettuce out of the ground that you sowed as a kind of seed and then Mm. and then a few weeks later harvesting it as a you know magnificent oak leaf lettuce or something I mean we are going to have the biggest lettuce glut in about six weeks time because (laughs) normally in my normal busy rocketing around England life um, I plant my seeds and I go away for a couple of days and nobody's watered them and I come back and half of them are dead. Oh. But I'm now, I've nurtured every single one now. So I have so many lettuce seedlings. We all get, <laughs> I could open the lettuce. <laughs> the lettuce society. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> That's so nice. And I, because I, I always think, because you've just said that usually you're doing it. Well, so I thought kind of you spent a lot of time on it and I thought, I just don't have time to devote to, you know, all this planting with young kids and work and all of that. But I think you're making me realise that I probably just should. Well, you know, there's <laughs> easy things that you can do, like lettuces and radishes. And I mean, radishes yeah. are amazing. If you plant radishes, you've got radishes in about two weeks. I mean, they're yeah. up in a couple of days. And it's fantastic for kids to see that. You know, they I know. We've, we've Before we went into lockdown, my husband, because we haven't got a massive garden, it's actually now since lockdown had to buy we had to buy a trampoline to keep my very active four-year-old happy so the trampoline's actually taking up most of the garden but my husband was going to build like a multi-tiered um you know thing out of wood to plant some vegetables in because we've wanted to plant vegetables like you know grow our own for ages but just with the you know amount of time taken up with everything at the moment in lockdown we haven't been able to but it's definitely definitely on our radar i'm there's a great new book out um, from Great Dixter, which is a beautiful house and garden just down the road from here. And it's about growing vegetables in pots. Oh, and okay. This idea that actually you don't need a huge garden. You can just put them in pots outside your back door. What's it called? It's called Growing Vegetables in Pots, actually. <laughs> I, I keep getting seeds and then thinking, right, I'm going to get some seeds. And then I completely forget about them. And then I think, 
okay, it's now three months later. I'm just going to try anyway. I tried with the tulip bulbs. It said plant before March. And in about, about sort of six weeks ago, I was like, right, it's, it's April. It's still going to work. And actually, one, one thing I have learned about gardening and growing things is that you do actually, there's a reason that you have to plant things at a certain time for them yeah. actually work. Very schedule so, dependent. I am learning. Yeah, there is def- there's definitely a method there. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say moving to Hastings has made you healthier than living in London? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I, I walk a lot. That's my, that's my thing. I mean, I walk for my head as much yeah. for my body. Um, it's like yoga, you know, I, I love a yoga class. People say, how do you have the time to go to yoga class? And I go, I don't have time not to go to a yoga class because it just clarifies my thinking on things and I find it so much easier to get through what I've got to do and the same with walking I you know it's when I solve problems and when I come up with ideas and at the moment because um, the problem has been in Hastings that that there's a lot of cyclists on the prom on the seafront and they go really fast and so in order to to kind of dodge the cyclists I've been going out at 10 to 6 in the morning um, <laughs> for, uh, first morning light gives you the most amount is when your body absorbs the most vitamin d so it's a great well, time I is that that would that's something that's really going to stick because I would usually go for my walk later in the day in the olden days before mm-hmm. this and um this this walking first thing in the morning is really really good um, but this morning I had to stay in bed because actually the one thing I do miss, I can't always, pers- I can't always p- persuade Craig to come with me. Mm. And I was thinking, I quite miss sitting in bed with my husband in the morning, actually. So I'm yeah. just stay home this morning. Um, and I went for a walk a bit later. Yeah. And um, I w- we were just really interested to ask you, because I know that um, that you have said that when you wanted to do something new, you've kind of felt that there was a gap for something and then you've just done it. So for people kind of wanting to set up a, or if they've got a good idea or they want to set up a business or they're entrepreneurial already, like it's amazing how you've done so many things. Do you feel like one thing has led you to another and your skill sets from what you're doing now has served you, um, you know, has served you and will serve you again in the future. So what would you say for people who are, you know, personally, I'm not interested in doing a me too business you know i i like i i think there are still gaps in the market i think that there are still ideas to to be found for things that that you can't find out there what i'm not particularly interested in doing myself is 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 copying some just copying something that someone else has done and of course i see that all the time you know someone has a good idea and then someone else thinks oh i'll have some of that and they come along and they basically clone it and it never is going to be as successful as the original. So you have to find your 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 niche. Um, and okay, so maybe those niches are dividing into sub niches, but there are still lots and lots of things that aren't out there that we all want. And and I think right now, with the world shifting so fast on its axis, there are probably all sorts of opportunities for people to come up with things that that we need now that life is different Mm. um so so i would i mean my uh my defining moment was um i remembered a postcard when i was setting up thinking of setting up green and blacks i remembered a postcard that i bought in carnaby street at the age of 15 and it said um if you don't do it, you'll never know what would have happened if you had done it. And it was a man on the edge of the diving board. And so basically that's my kind of benchmark. So if I have an idea and I, I, I kind of go to the edge of the diving board and I think, you know, if I don't jump, is it going to haunt me forever that I haven't done that thing, that I haven't taken that chance and, and taken that opportunity? Um, and I think we all know lots and lots of people who talk about doing things. Lots of people just love talking about what they're going to do, but they never actually do it. Yeah. And so it's, it's really taking that, you know, going to the edge of that diving board, deciding if you're going to, that you just have to try. You, you have such curiosity about what it could become. 
but then also realizing that the most important thing from that moment on is actually not to talk about it so much but to to plot it out and and just follow get all those things done to get you from a to b and every business that you set up there are a gazillion million things that have to be done yeah um many 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 of them only have to be done once you know you only have to choose a printer one well actually no printers printers are a really bad example a logo or a I, name sometimes the name with the logo is or, hard or, or you know or or yeah exactly um so all those things only have to be done once so although they feel enormous at the time and you think it's the list is never going to end once you're up and running it's it's a day-to-day thing and those big things have, have been ticked off that list you must be like a serial entrepreneur then you know it wasn't ever it wasn't ever anything i planned to do i i i was used to writing about people doing interesting things and I loved writing about people doing interesting things. I just, you know, I never quite imagined that I would be one. <laughs> I suppose it, from what it sounds like as well, you and Craig both had, were passionate about the things you did. And I think when you have a passion for something and you start a business based on a passion, based on believing on what, in, in what you're doing and believing how it's going to impact the world or your community, that gives it, that gives you purpose. For doing it and pushes you and propels you forward it propels you forward and it keeps you going when you've got those bleak moments that are inevitable you know yeah. when you have those 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 doors slamming in your face when you have those you know just just the the general crap that can happen in the in the span of an average day if you've got a kind of you know a belief that will that will that can keep you going but i also think that what was really important for us and i do say this to people is that there were two of us so um we had different but complementary skill sets so i was um i was pr marketing product development um customer service branding and design so all of the kind of if you like the outward facing stuff craig was strategy, operations, finance, all the very, very important nuts and bolts for business. And it's not to say he wasn't visionary and it's not to say he didn't have input on all of those other things, but that was basically our two orbits of responsibility, which just crossed over a little bit in the middle. And having those two very different skill sets was crucial because you can have two people in business, I think, some, and it's, I've seen it happen quite often, where you have, for example, two incredibly creative people, so two people like me, um, and nobody ever invoices the customers <laughs> because you're both so busy working on the branding and the look and the marketing and the, and the getting, you know, getting the sales, but actually nobody's sweeping up behind you, making sure that those invoices go out. But how amazing that you not only with Craig have that balance of your skill sets, but that both of you are interested in the same things at the same time, because usually you've got, you know, the business minded, you know, partner, and then the, you know, I'm talking about in relationships, and then you've got the more creative kind of, and, and they rarely kind of actually have the same opinions based on that. So that's, a really good thing i think for people to hear that that's possible in a relationship as well yeah. i mean we are unbelievably different you know as well as as well as um having i think we have shared values but actually we're very very different people um and have um, you learned your skill sets over the years has it sort of did it sort of naturally evolve or did you go right i'm going to be good at this you're going to be good at that no i think i think we just played to our strengths basically and the thing is, I, when I first went into business, I kind of didn't realize that I'd already had a business because I was a magazine editor in my 20s. And I thought I was editing a magazine. But at the same time, you're running a business. Yeah. And so you've got a staff. I had 27 people working for me on each of the magazines I worked on. I had budgets. I had, you know, I had to make sure that the magazine made money. I had HR issues. I had all of these things that you have in business. But I thought I was just this amazingly creative person, you know, and I never really thought about the fact that at the same time, I was learning to do those things. So 
when it came to having a business myself, I realized I knew how to do a lot of those things, but I didn't know I had those skills. Yeah. Yeah. So I think often people will discover that, like you're doing something and you think, actually, I'm so glad I did that job before, even though it was completely unrelated because that has taught me a skill that I'm using now. So your life does kind of take a kind of a pattern yeah. without, you know, when you look back at it, you can see the pattern. You can't often see it in, in front no, of you. No, and you can't generally see it when you're in it as well. One of the things I've been trying to encourage my, my team to do um, at the Perfume Society and Beauty Bible at the moment is take a few days of holiday. So it's like I'm on holiday tomorrow as well as the long weekend because um, I kind of need to stand back from my life. We're so in our lives at the moment. We, we would normally go on holiday to get a bit of perspective and a bit of a, a bit of rest, but we'd normally go away. And that might be when we would start to kind of look at the picture of our lives and think about how we you know, might want to do something differently. But we're in it at the moment. We're just getting through the day. And I think even if you're just at home, and you decide that I'm going to not look at the, I'm not, not going to look at social media. I'm not going to look at my computer, mm. I'm going to switch off and just be on holiday. Relax. Just be, yeah. That's such amazing advice. Thank you so much. That's such brilliant. It's lovely advice. And I think it's a perfect way to end because that I was going to say, you know, what's your takeaway message, which sounds a bit cliche, but I think you've given us all your takeaway messages and um, some lovely things to end on. So as you know, as we talked to you through earlier, we do this, uh, what are we into every week? And I know you've um, got something to tell us that you're into. Um, So I have, bought a couple of things on online food basically like everyone I'm into food but I am trying to we are trying to eat healthily do only do sweet things at the weekend (laughs) Um, and I came across on the Instagram feed um, you know a couple of people talking about um, so one was Jessica Gunn who's the editor of Waitrose Food Illustrated Waitrose Food And she'd had this amazing box of tomatoes delivered from the Isle of Wight Tomato Company. And I thought, oh my God, I love tomatoes. Craig hates tomatoes. It's one of the things we can't agree on. And I loved your post about that and it got me to order them. (laughs) So basically six kilos of organic tomatoes I ordered. I was so happy when I went on that they did an organic box. Yes. Gorgeous tomatoes arrived, some of which are in my fridge still. Um, I've I've had the most wonderful tomatoes because, you know, buying tomatoes in the supermarket they're always disappointing they're never ripe they're always just kind of cold and claggy these are as good as i could grow myself and then um a couple of days ago i was looking at the feed of sheila dillon who's the editor of the um bbc food program and um she had ordered six kilos of organic lemons from spain and i thought i'm gonna do that so i bought <laughs> Six kilos of organic lemons. I have no idea what I'm going to do with all those lemons. Squeeze them and freeze them, I suppose, can't you? Yes, I think I probably can. Or, I mean, I've got some, I've still got some Seville oranges in my freezer from February when I, I oh, made, wow. I overbought marmalade oranges and I made half the marmalade and I was so exhausted. I just I was like, okay, I'm just going to put the rest in the freezer. So I, I, I may just put some in the freezer. But Oh, I've got a great recipe for an orange cake that's sugar-free and everything. I'll send you that. Okay, great. <laughs> lemon cake, I think. Oh, right. lem- yeah, no, we need one for lemon. I have got a lemon cake recipe, actually, but it's not as good as the orange cake one. <laughs> lovely deliveries. Buying, buying lovely treats to eat, you know, yeah. online. And also supporting growers and farmers. You know, I think that's, yeah. that's really important. It's yeah. really so being able to buy directly from them is really yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing to do yeah you know a lot of a lot of a lot of producers are, are struggling i mean the, the whole british cheese industry is struggling um so you if you go to neil's yard dairy you can buy you can support british cheese makers mm. by buying um buying some of their cheese because you know cows don't stop producing milk mm. but most of these british cheese makers the vast majority of their sales were to restaurants which are not open my my best friend henrietta has a company called the rare tea company 80 percent of her business was was restaurants like claridge's and noma in in denmark etc and you know just about every upmarket 
restaurant in the world. So she's trying to pivot her business to sell more online. RareTeaCompany.com. She sells beautiful tea. And and of course, you know, that in turn supports the the pickers and the farmers in South Africa and India and China, etc. So it's really vital that we keep that going. Mm -hmm. I think just before I leave, the one lesson that I learned really importantly during this was a kind of lesson in economics. So suddenly I went from having, you know, an amazing income to nothing, Um, you know, writing some articles. But, but, you know, I was doing very, very well before all of this with a speaking career. Suddenly breaks full on. And I thought, well, I can't spend any money. You know, I just can't justify spending any money. And I realized that if you just keep your cash under the mattress like that, it, the whole world economy is going to stagnate. And actually, even if I couldn't justify buying something for myself, I could do some Christmas shopping. I could buy some birthday presents. Mm. And if I bought from, you know, one of my local retailers who've gone online on Instagram or, or put a sign in their window saying, call us if you want to buy something in the window, you know, I would, they would get my money and then they would spend it probably locally. Yeah. And then those people would spend it locally. And that same money goes round and round and multiplies and expands. I said this to my husband about, because we carried on, we've got a lovely cleaner that comes to us and we carried on paying her because first of all, I think there are people who are going to suffer and then there are people who are really going to suffer and she was going to be one of them. Um, But also for that reason, you know, like when we were talking about the nursery fees, if we stop paying nursery, the nursery won't stay open and they can't pay their supplies and they can't. You know, so I totally agree with that. Yeah, and because you need those, you'll want the nursery when when this is over, isn't it? I know, but there were people who stopped paying them. There were people who, who like, essentially took their kids out so that they didn't need to pay, which maybe in their situation they had to. But anyway, the point is I totally agree with what you're saying. You know, I think for the the long-term health of the economy, we kind of have to spend what we can, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. Tilly, what are you into this week? Okay, so very quickly, my thing that I'm into now this week is tennis. And I have... You've won AWOL because you've been... Just playing tennis all the time. I thought I thought something was. I, I thought you'd been abducted or something. No, Lauren sent me a message saying, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I've just been really busy. I've been playing loads of tennis." But it's been so lovely to because I've been with my kids for nine weeks. We live by Richmond Park, so we're so lucky to have been have a, you know a garden and we've been out into the park. But actually, when they said this week you can play tennis, we went to our local tennis club, which is just two minutes away signed up and we've played nearly every day and it's been so fun just to go out and do something and I've got a really good tan yeah <laughs> plus you look really good in those tennis oh, whites <laughs> and you know the vitamin D is actually and the exercise makes you feel so good and you know it's fun to do something with the kids that we can all do and yeah, yeah. anyway that so that's my thing I, I hope I'm, I've ordered some tennis shoes as well so I think it's, it's going to carry <laughs> on next week Lauren watch out <laughs> and so what are you into then lovely well i'm into two things because i was the first thing i was going to say was um i'm doing this uh online yoga on youtube um she's called boho beautiful her page and i've done lots of online yogas and they were either uh, too slow or too fast or just not she is amazing she's got videos for every level yoga pilates some that more like hip workouts with yoga so before daniel heads into the office at eight o'clock at seven o'clock I'm there on my yoga mat doing, and it's amazing and it's really kind of been my saving my sanity at the moment to start my day like that but my second thing I had to say because obviously is green and blacks because <laughs> so I'm every you know my friends everyone knows me and every year my stocking fillers are green and blacks chocolate so <laughs> I need to stop eating so much green and blacks is what I need to do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, on that note, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed talking to you. I think people will really have so much to take away from all your tips and advice and just the way that you live your life. So kind of holistically and ethically alongside being able to be this amazing, expansive entrepreneur. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. 
We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthy Happy Home. We're so grateful to every single one of you who chooses to press play. Please connect with us over on Instagram at Healthy Happy Home Podcast. We have a heap of amazing giveaways and discounts. And remember to use the hashtag Elevation Nation. And if you enjoy our show, why not tell your fellow elevators about us or people who you think could benefit from each episode message? Rating, reviewing and subscribing to Healthy Happy Home will also help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. Thank you to Mega Home Water Distillers for sponsoring this season of Healthy Happy Home. Head over to megahome-distillers.co.uk to learn more about the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller on the market and to benefit from a 5% discount as a listener of Healthy Happy Home by using the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Megahome.